Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Amen. So, um, Vian and his team, uh, they're from The World Needs a Father. And we, this weekend we're just talking about the fact that it's, it's so much easier to build a child than to repair an adult. And, and if we know what to do as parents, and especially as fathers, because uh, I think mothers in general, just because of the setups of society and, and the, the makeup of mothers, tend to be there more than fathers in society. Fathers tend to be much more absent. Um, and, and in South Africa, we're the most fatherless um, nation probably in the world. I mean, only about 34% of children in South Africa grow up with both parents. That's a shocking stat. More than 20% of children grow up with no parents in South Africa. That's, that's really shocking. Uh, so just, you know, by parenting well, uh, by being fathers, being mothers, we can make a massive difference in our country, and we ought to. And, and Vian and his team, Vian, can you maybe just uh, come up, please? Vian and his team, they, they have a course, The World Needs a Father, um, started by Cassie Carstens, and there's a book um, related to that as well. We have the books here, right? So the books are outside. If you want to buy a copy, just talk to Andre, and, and he'll, he'll sort you out. Um, but uh, it's really good material, and, and let's really open up our hearts uh, this morning. Uh, Vian is not only speaking as someone who is himself a father of quite a few years, but also of someone who really has a respect for the Word of God and who's learned from the Word of God and from other fathers who've learned from the Word of God. Uh, and I think we can safely open up our hearts and, and receive from him what God has laid on his heart. Thanks, Bjorn. Thank you, Annie. It's such a privilege. I was sitting there and I just thought, well, God, how is it possible that you let me or allow me to stand here this morning in someone else's church once again and work with his people but your people? So I just want to say I'm not here to promote the movement. I'm definitely not here to to try and push a name, I'm here to serve your house. So this, that, this was the aim of this weekend, to serve the fathers and eventually the mothers and the children of this house, this faith community. And uh, may this morning also serve well, and may it serve the people well, uh, to honor God. So please open your hearts and just receive. And I remember the little bit that I want to share this morning, years ago when I heard this the first time, the approach, the angle, I just thought, God, where... Where, 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 where did I hide all these years? Because I never, I never knew this. And it might just help that you would just be in a new space this morning as a husband to a wife, the wife to the husband, but also parents to children. So I hope to really just serve you well. And um, Henny, will you just later on when I do the illustration, just help me to get this ladder just out here. Okay, that's fine. Great. So can we just pray? Before we start, let's just pray together. Father, thank you that you, you have us together like this. I mean, being at the, the far end of a COVID season, we know by now nothing, can, we can take nothing for granted. Lord, this is not just as it should be or will be. It is a privilege to be together. It's a privilege to see people. It was a privilege this, this weekend to be together with men, and it's not just Zoom, man. What a privilege. It's a privilege to be alive, Lord. It's really a privilege to serve you alive and well. And I pray that this morning, 
Every second will count. Every second. Let us lean into your word. Lean into the togetherness of your spirit this morning. Lead us, Holy Spirit. Lead us. Lead us. Speak to us. Help us. Convince us. Compel us. Because we cannot just come in and hear and go out the same. We want to leave this building differently because we've spent time with you. Help us in that, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, uh, many thanks for one or two stats. I'm going to probably repeat one or two. I think it's important. So, I want to just give you a quick glimpse on, on fatherlessness. And you can start with the slides. So, at the World Needs a Father, I think the, the prominent thing that we do is to, first of all, help people understand that we live in a difficult world, really. We think that all people have fathers, but the reality is it is not true. And we try to tell the story, but then it is so bad if you tell a story and you cannot help people in the story. So bad if you tell a story and you, and you give people away, but they cannot have a handle on a story or sit in the vehicle and move. So what we try and do is to be as practical as possible, but with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to say, man, if you just grab this, this vehicle will take you forward. It will help you. It will restore. It will certainly restore families. And I believe even this morning, it's going to do a, a work of restoration. So we live in a father-deprived world, and I just want to help you with a definition of, of fatherlessness. You can put on the next slide there. So the definition of fatherlessness, unfortunately in our thinking, and our minds, when we hear fatherlessness, we hear family without a father, no father. But I have to just tell you this morning that fatherlessness is far more than just not having a father. That's the one part of it, but I think in our community, in our society, one of the biggest problems is this. It's, it's, it's because fathers are disconnected with their children. They live in homes, but they're not there. They're not there. We speak to the young ones, and you hear the cry. They just cry out. If my father, being there every day, can just make eye contact for a moment and just be there, be in my space, it will make all the difference. So just a few things to think about when it comes to fatherlessness, what about abusive fathers? It is a well, it's a well-proven fact through research that the effect on a child, if the father is in the house but abusive, is as extreme or severe as if a child has no father. That's fatherlessness. Absent fathers, fathers there but just not connected, no eye contact, no body contact, no skin contact, no word. Neglecting fathers, fathers not even thinking about the needs of the children, just providing, providing, but no, no care of how to care for these children. It's a work of the mother. What about the no-show dad? We have it in our culture. So it's young teenagers falling pregnant. I don't know if you read on News 24, one of stat SA stats in this week was that from 2017 to 2021, which is this year, Girls between 10 and 14, we had 14,000 pregnancies in our country. It's no show dads, no show. It's a little girl, no dad. And I'll show you later on, but we, we had in 2018, they had a stat that said 61.8% of all new births in our country, the children had a birth certificate with only one parent on it, and it was mothers. No show dads, absolutely no show. It's a massive problem. But then in our culture, we also have seasonal dads. So these are the ones that work 12 hours, 16 hours, 18 hours, sometimes just nine, but they're never there. They just work. They, they enter the house with a cell phone. They exit with a cell phone. And when it comes to holiday times, they jump in. Boy, they want to be the dad. They play ball. They play cricket. They, they do whatever they can, and they want to catch up for a whole year that they lost. 
It's a seasonal dad, and the effects of seasonal fatherhood is as intense as absent fatherhood. Doesn't work. Yes, we can try and salvage a bit, but it doesn't work. Ignorant dads, divorced dads. Uh, Henny just said, and I'll show you more stats of divorce, but divorced dads, a massive thing. Emotionally disconnected dads. Oh man, the men are just so uptight and so straight-faced and poker-faced. We cannot hug, we cannot touch, we cannot cry together. And we have sons and daughters in our homes that say, My, Please, Dad, can you just become real? I just feel like crying. Can you just cry with me? But there's absolutely no emotions connected to father, fatherhood. The last one, mothering, fathering. Funny concept. But the reality is, Dad's work. They come home after nine or ten hours and they think it's okay if they come home. Everything should just be fine. Mother should cook a meal. The homework should be done. Kick should be bathed. And the whole atmosphere should be perfect. Oh, yes. And please, make sure that you discipline the children. Because when I get home, I want a place of peace. I want comfort. I want to flip the channel. Sit. You please serve me. I eat. Mothering, fathering. So the mo- he becomes sort of a mother. Don't, don't want to get my hands dirty. And mother just does everything. It's a bad, bad thing in our community, in our culture. So I spend a lot of hours telling the men it cannot work that way. And I believe you would just agree with me. So let's look at some divorce figures in the, in the world. In Moscow, in Russia, this was quite a year, few years ago. Church leaders estimated divorce rate at 87% in Moscow. So it's not the rest of Russia, but it was in Moscow. Cause our tribe in our country, children go to grandmother if husband wants a new wife with our children. He can decide, get a new wife, and then just send the, parent, the children to the grandparents because I have a new wife. It sounds like divorce. Sao Paulo, 27 million people in 2011. Um, in that city, 268% rise in divorce rate in that year. I don't know where it is right now. should be crazy. American Census Bureau said 2.4 million divorces. 2012 in America. I just said to you, 61% of our birth certificates had no parent or no dad on it. In 2018, in Egypt, when we visited there, 2018, they had 90,000 new marriages in Cairo, but 200,000 divorces in the same year. Look at the ratio. Crazy, crazy, crazy stat. The year before, we, we traveled to Jamaica, we had to do training there, and they said to us that 85% of all children on the island is born out of wedlock. 85%. You know, you get on the airport eh? in Kingston, you get on the airport, they have massive, one of the marketing strategies of the country, they have posters saying, we are the country with the most churches per square kilometer. The highest amount of churches on that island, yet 85% of all their children born out of wedlock. And I say, where is the church? Because if the church, well, if, if, if we don't own up, if we don't get in, 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 engaged in things like this, we can just stop what we do, man. I'm part of church. I'm a pastor in a church. I love church. I love the local body. But we should serve our community. We should hear this and say, but what can we do? And that's why I think you, you allowed us here, Any In Ecuador, in the same year, they, they, they told us that children between 12 and 15 years old, girls, one out of 20 was already pregnant. And girls between 15 and 19 years old, one out of every five pregnant. Crazy, crazy stats. Crazy stats. And I just give you the our country stats. Just this one. The next one in our country, the next slide there. Both parents, children living with both parents, 34.4%, as any said. 
So you look at more or less 60, uh, you know, 65% of children not living with parents. So if we just look at this building, how many, don't want to say it out loud, you're supposed to be 50. So, <laughs> so but, but help me quickly, just help me quickly. This row, you, you, and that row, and that row, and that row, and to the back, just stand up quickly. Just quickly stand up. Now, not you, not at the back, just this small little row. Yeah, please stand, please stand, sir. Now, the rest of us, just look at them standing. So, if we look at our country, if you look at any sports team, if you look at any classroom, if you look at any family, the ratio of people living with both parents looks like this. The other day, thank you, you can sit down. It's, it's crazy. The other day, myself and Riet just said to each other, man, we always said, because our daughter is 20, the, the boy is 18, and so we, we, we're nearing times of marriage in, in 12 years or something. <laughs> but in any case, we, um, we just said, gone are the days when we can teach our daughter, look for a husband, the possible husband that comes from a stable family. Because she will only have a pool of 30, 30%, and some of them are a bit distracted and distorted as well. So we, we live in a time where we just say, this is, the, this is the only option. We need to know how to handle this. Mother only 41.4%. Father only only 3.3%. And I think one of the main reasons is not that they, there's not a lot of dads that want to take the role. But the court at this stage obviously just passed the kids to the mother. And that's how it is. Neither parents, 20.9%. One more stat, 2013, we traveled the Ukraine, and I was sitting there, and there was a guy in our training sitting with a black suit, and he was part of the government. The government actually sent him to our training. He was part of the family office of the country. I said, sir, what are you doing here? He said, well, we have a massive problem in our country. We have 180,000 orphans in our country. So government wants to engage. They also have 58 million people. So same size as ours. 180,000 orphans, I think, oh, massive problem. I said, well, in our country that year, we had 3.8 million orphans, and our government never sent somebody to our trainings. They don't. Why? It's time for the church to step in. But I don't, don't want to carry on. That's a different one. So can I just declare, this is proven through many, many research papers. The one single factor the, 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 the one thing that combines and brings everything together in society, this one pathology, this one thing that is killing not just church but communities and countries is fatherlessness. More than crime, more than corruption, more than poverty, more than drug abuse, more than GBV, more than anything else is fatherlessness. Because if you start there and you build from there, we will resolve every other issue in this nation and every other nation with our God, our Father, Jesus, the Holy Spirit on our side. That's the only way we can do this. So, before I carry on, I hope that you heard that we live in a country with a massive crisis. And as a leader and a leader and every single person sitting in this building today, I count you as a leader because the Word of God says that all Christian people should be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, which is influence, influences leadership. You are a leader, my friend. Whether you know it or not, someone is looking onto your life and, and, and searching for Jesus in your life. You are a leader. Leaders should only lead where God wants them to lead. And if you read the Scriptures, you will find that the one place God wants us in this season is where? Fatherlessness, orphans. So if you're a leader, if you're a Christian, you cannot turn your head away. It's time that we say, but what can we do? Starting in our own homes.
And I want to assist you this morning in understanding. So on the one side, the next slide you can put up, we have the crisis. And our crisis is one of fatherlessness. And then if I, if I show you this, on the other side, the far, far other end, we have a vision. We have the way, the promised land, the way that God said, a family, you can just stick it on to the last one there so that they see the full slide. You will see that. So we have a vision. We have a picture, a model that, that we believe God says, but this is how a family can function. With the grace of God, with the empowerment and Jesus in our midst, and we really serve him, it can be different. But here's the thing. We are wonderfully trained in churches to give you the vision, to tell you what is possible with God. And somewhere down, down the street in MPOs and charities, we are excellent in having our feet in the crisis and really working in the crisis and just and work there. But here's the thing, as a child of God, the place you want your feet to be is always with the one foot in the crisis and the other foot in the vision, standing say, I see this, but I also know this. I see we have almost 70% of children not living with both parents, but man, I see that with God it's possible. We can change statistics. We can change marriages. It is possible, but it's not possible for a pastor and a pastor and a pastor. It's only possible if communities step in. So the best place to be is to, to stand in this, you know, this tension. So I see this, I feel this, I smell it. And on the other hand, I see the promise and always be in this tension of what can I do to make a difference? And I love this church community because I could hear just in conversations how people just want to come with solutions. They feel the tension. May you feel the tension. I'm scared to pray the prayer. God, break our heart for what breaks yours because then you will feel the tension. May we feel the tension. Great. So, why can we and why should we? The next one there, the Malachi slide. Thank you. Why can we and why should we step in? Because in Malachi 4 verse 6, you all know the scripture very well. And I, I, I think that when you do the next parenting course and all parenting courses and, and every single inner healing course you do, you always hear turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. We know this. But the verse before that, the verse 5 says, And I will send him in the spirit of Elijah. It was a, the last you know, prophecy, one of the last prophecies of Old Testament. I said, there's something coming. There's a mandate on a man. This man will work, walk in the spirit of Elijah and he's got a job to do. His job will be to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And we know what the other part says. If it's not going to happen, there will be a curse. There might be a curse. And I just believe so, maybe, just maybe, we experienced the curse. Many places in our country at least. But what struck me most is if you read in Luke, Luke one seventeen, it says, and this is the mandate of Luke. It's New Covenant, New Testament. We jump forward. It's us. It's now the new church. And it says, and he will, this is John the Baptist, he will go on before the Lord. And in the spirit and the power of Elijah, it picks up on the prophecy in Malachi. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children, the disobedient and the wisdom of the, to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I always thought the mandate of John the Baptist was just to prepare a way of the Lord. Now I see, but hey, wait a minute. This guy represented me, represented any, represented all of us, Andre. Why? To do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers back. Why? Before that day of the Lord, that dreadful day of the Lord. It's a now word. We have to do this. 
So what is our mandate? To turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom and the righteous, and to make a way ready to, and to prepare a way for the Lord. This is our strategy. This is where we are now. You say, what can I do to, to, to really be ready so that Jesus can come turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, my friend? Please don't ignore it. We just have to do this. So our mandate is to do that. And the, the, the model we use at the world needs a father. But that which we, we, we show the men and the fathers is the following. When God the Father spoke over his son at his baptism, and also at the Mount of Transfiguration, the following happened. He had these very profound words. It's the father speaking over his son. So if I say, what is my role? I want to hear the father speaking over his son. That's as pure as it will get. And you know the words. This is my son. Whom I'm well, whom I love, whom, in whom I'm well pleased, and in the Mount of Transfiguration, he said, now listen to him. So here, the four pillars of fatherhood, we believe that every father, not just a biological father, a substitute father, a community father, whether you're at your company or your company father, wherever you are, if you stand in a role of fathering, fatherhood, leading men, leading women, this is your role. This is my son, confers identity. I am the one that should bring the identity of Christ into contexts. This is my job. Whom I love, I provide emotional security. I should make sure that my context and my environment is an environment of love. The motivator, the common, you know, factor that brings people together and motivates and compels people should be love. It's my role as a father. I'm well pleased with him. This is affirmation, seeing the potential of people. Lifting people up. Now listen to him. A father should transfer moral authority. It's our work, work to do the moral dance, to lead by example. How many fathers are leading by example? You answer, give the answer to yourself. So just a quick wrap up of what we do. This was 15 minutes of a 24 hour intense session. So this morning I want to focus in on a very important topic it comes out of one of our pillars. You can jump to the place where it says the Father provides security. So this is one of the pillars, one of the main things. But I believe that one of the most misunderstood definitions and understandings in this, on the globe today is the word, the action, the noun, if you want to put it, the word love. Man, we are bombarded with love, a Hollywood type of love. We see love, we read about love in books and in romance, you know, stories. We see how people sell romance to us. And we have this picture of what love should be. But if we look at where love comes from, if we look at what the true source of love is and how it should work, I mean it will just quiet all of us this morning. If we really open our hearts to see what true love is. And, and to do that, I want to go to a very well-known scripture in 1 John 4. So I'll read to you 1 John 4, verse 7 to 9, and I will also just jump to verses 17 and 18. That will be the scripture reading for this morning, and from there we will just jump out and see what God is saying. You know the scripture, but let's repeat this again. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. So let's stop there. First of all, just, be, just to lay the foundation, love comes from where? God, the owner of love, the creator of love, the source of love is God. Why on earth would we search for love in any other place than God? Because God is love, full stop. Remember that part. Everyone who loves 
has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. Hear this word, he sent. And I don't hear that anything was sent back. It's one-way traffic. He sent. He sent. One directional. Love is born from God. It's from God. It came down in the form of Jesus. It's one way and that is it. The second thing you have to understand is love is a one-way street. Love is one directional. Remember that part. We'll get to that. It says he sent his one and only son that we might live through him. The token of love. The, present, the presentation the defining, the defining moment, the, the, the crux of our understanding comes in that person, Jesus. That is love. This is how the Father said, but my most precious, I'm going to give it to you. This is love. But listen to this. This is all, this is my most precious thing, and I give it to you, and I don't ask anything back. Crazy, crazy statement. And then the empowering part is in verse 17. So this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Some would say it's impossible to love like God. I would say, listen, if you read the word, you say that you have authority. You are empowered. In this world, we are like Jesus. It means if we get the concept right, there is a possibility for us to get it right. Even this morning, we can redirect, we can rewire and our understanding and say, but there is a possibility to truly love. And then this last part, if you want to evaluate love, it says there is no fear in love. Absolutely no fear. Perfect love drives out fear. But because fear has to do with punishment, no one who fears is not, is not made perfect, or the one who fears is not made perfect in love. But the part you need to remember is, there is no fear in love. I'll get back to that. So here's the thing. Our love versus God's love. Let's just look at three statements. First of all, our love is externally determined. You are given the power to make me happy or unhappy. You look at your spouse. Turn to your spouse. Turn to your spouse or your spouse-to-be. And you give someone on earth externally the right to make you happy or sad. That's the way we love. It's exchange determined. So we, you need to, to earn my love. There should be a return for my love. It's like a business transaction. This is what we see in Hollywood. This is what we see all over. And the other thing is, it's expectations determined. So you have to meet my expectations of love. Otherwise, I won't love you. So I want to do you just a quick illustration. I will just... Use this board of mine. I'm not very arty, so, but I will at least probably be able to show you what I want to show you. So here's the thing. If I ask you, so just put up the hands, all the married ones. I want to focus on the married ones for a, for a short while. And so all the men, do you love your wife? Please, I want to hear. Do you love your wife? Ladies, do you love your wife? <laughs> Please. Cut it out. <laughs> so, ladies, do you love your husbands? Okay. Parents, do you love your children? So, let's see. There was a day. 
that you stand, you, you stood in front of the, the council, the pulpit, and you had to declare your love to one another. And at a stage, remember that question? So, do you love? And he said, I do, I do, I do. And everything was, I do. And we looked in the eyes, and it was, I do, and I do. And we thought of things coming, and it was just a beautiful moment. I want to show you a picture quickly. So, when you were a young one, all the men, ladies, put yourself in the same boat if you want. We started searching for our wives, is that not true? So, you hear there, you taste there, you look there, you, you read there, and you start to form a picture of who you want your wife to be. So, the, one of the first things that we start to, to look at is obviously outward appearance. We start to form some sort of a picture, maybe, maybe eye color, I don't know, maybe, maybe the shape of a body, I don't know, maybe the color of the hair, maybe the length. But it takes us years to see, okay, I think I have a picture of my coming wife. And if I can get that picture, that picture is my 100% picture. This is who I would just love to marry. And then you know that you have a beautiful and a brilliant mother, and your mother can cook, boy. So, well, if I want a wife, she has to cook at least 90% like my wife or like my mother. Can I tell you a quick Quick one. Riet, can I tell them? Just before comrades, that's fine. It's been 22 years now. So I was searching for a wife like my mother. I thought I had her. And just a few months into, into our marriage, I, had to, I, I ran my first comrades. And, um, and she heard from someone that if you want to run the comrades marathon, you need iron. You need high levels of iron. And she did a search and they said, if you eat liver, it will give you iron. But she also knew that I eat my steak medium rare. So she bought me a liver. She said to the butcher, Sir, a thick piece. Like my steak. And she, she cooked it to perfection. But it wasn't steak, it was liver. <laughs> so I remember eating one bite, no more. So, um, but I thought I had a, a 90%. So this is the cooking part. And then what about disciplining children. I have my way, she has her way. But we think we will marry someone that really understands discipline as we understand discipline at least 100%. We can carry on. What about, what about social networking? Man, I'm going to get someone that thinks about this as me. The first time that I invited friends to the house, I, I, I actually realized that she does not feel the same as I feel about this, you know. So friends and social networking. So for the sake of this, what about intimate relationships? So men, you have your picture. You can't wait for your marriage day. You can't wait for your marriage day. And then you have some sort of a calculation in your head how the intimacy in the marriage would work. And you think your picture is 100%. Is that not true? But then... After the third child, you think to yourself, overall appearance, it's not the same picture anymore. Oh, not my wife, she's 110%. <laughs> Cooking. Oh, after the first year, whew, 22 years later, you're doing well, my love. <laughs> I didn't see her for three days, I just have to keep the shares up. <laughs> disciplining, no, the discipline is not the same. 
What about, you know, friends and, and, and family? We don't see eye to eye. And what about intimate relationships? It's not the same. It's just not the same picture that I thought as a young man it should be in marriage. Now I want to ask you the following question. Who was your wife really? The day when you stood before the pastor, the priest, the revenant, before the pulpit, and you said, I do, my love. Did you marry your picture? Or did you marry your reality? I'll give you two, two more seconds to think. I believe, at least in my own life, when I said I do, I said I do to my picture of the perfect wife. Because that's why you start your marriage. You think this is the perfect one. And then just a few months down the line, you start to see that, hey, wait a minute, something is different. And this, my friend, we, called, we call idol love. It's when I marry something, when I declare my love to someone or something that I think is my perfect picture, and it's never the reality. But a massive thing will happen if you do, the, do it this way. Because if you see, if you marry your perfect picture, and it happens to be that this is the reality, there is a tension between reality and perfect picture. There's a, there's a tension here. And I'll show you the tension later on. Because I believe even in, in, when, in raising children, we have exactly the same. As we await our first child, we have a picture of, so we hear it's a boy, we buy him a, a lion's rugby shirt or whatever, or <laughs> bulls, or I don't know what you, but we have pictures of what this boy should be. The first present is maybe a rugby ball, and to the musicians you buy a guitar or a, a golf stick or a golf club or whatever, but we have a picture of a boy, a soccer ball, I don't know what you buy. We have a picture of the academic achievements of our children. We have a picture of what the daughters should be. You see, we have our perfect picture, and now we get our children, and they grow up, and we quickly learn that, hey, man, they are not our picture. We're trying to live through our children. You see, the problem with one of the biggest problems of our love is it is idle love. It's never pure love. It's not pure love because we only try to love that which we idolize. What is the definition of an idol? Is if I draw anything I need and I can get from God from some earthly thing. So if my wife becomes the place where I draw my happiness from, it means she becomes an idol because that happiness, that joy should come from where? The Father. So I give someone on earth the right to make me happy or sad. I ask you again, all the men, you think you love your wife? Or do you love your perfect picture? And you might sit here and you say, but I've learned a lot. And it's, it's 10 years later, 20 years later, 40 years later. I want to tell you, my friend, and I'll show you now, that if you not become intentional about breaking this down, it creates massive tension in a marriage. So three vital mistakes that we make when it comes to, sorry, with our changing over of slides, we are literally... At, the, at a difficult space, but go to the one of vital, the vital mistakes. Let me just click it there. So three vital mistakes that we make, according to our understanding, is the following. First of all, we have external determined love. So what do we do? 
we give someone the, the chance to make us happy or sad, as I just told you. The second one, there is a possibility for exchange because now if I have my picture, I try to exchange certain things to, to make or try and mo- motivate my, my, my loved one to become my picture. And the other one that is very dangerous is the expectations, all the levels of ex- expectations that they need to, to add up to. So if you can quickly help me, Henny, just to, just to give me this ladder and read, if you can come forward. You see, one of the biggest mistakes we can make is that I, I have either spoken expectations or unspoken expectations. So when my beautiful, no, 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 it's like, that's fine. You want to turn it around? Okay. So the thing is, we got married, and when she married me, I loved activity. I loved running, I loved gymming, I loved sports. Before we got married, even before we, or just after our engagement, the first Christmas, I bought her a pair of running shoes. <laughs> so you tell me, you think, you think that she thought I had expectations over her? I think so. But I never realized it. So when we got into our marriage, she just felt, but man, if he's going to love me forever, I need to do certain of his things. See, you can just get on to that. She's got a little bit of a fear for, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more, more, more. You see? Okay. I'm just helping her overcoming some fears. So, here's the thing. In life, our partners, our spouses, our children might feel that we will only love them if they meet all our expectations. Years after our, our marriage, years after our marriage, I got to understand this, and, and, and this one night I had to go to her, and I had to ask, but, but Riet, what is all the expectations that you live under? Is it maybe true that you think if you, if you pick up a little bit of weight, I won't love you? Is it maybe true that if you run into some kind of a disability or a, you know, some, some event that I won't love you, is it true, my love, that if you don't train, you think that I won't love you? And she just looked me in the eyes. She said, well, can I be honest? Yes. I'm not very sure. What about your children, sir? Might it be that your son thinks if he doesn't play rugby, you won't love him? Might it be if your son is not in the first team of soccer, you won't love him? Might it be that if your child achieves 65% in an average mark, that they think or he or she thinks that it, it should be 80, otherwise you won't love them? Is it maybe possible that suicide figures in our country is very high because children think that we won't love them because they don't reach our expectations? Is it maybe true that we have high divorce rates because people think, spouses think, in marriages think that we cannot love each other if we don't meet the expectations? So how do I break down the expectations? There's only one way. You go on your knees. And as you go, can you stand? And as you go on your knees and you look her in the eyes and you say, my love, I'm sorry for always making you think you should be active. You got down one step. Sorry for thinking you have to be in perfect shape physically. Otherwise, I won't love you. And sorry that you thought that if you cannot serve me as a wife, in all other aspects, I won't love you. You look her in the eye and you say, my love, I want to promise you my love forever and ever and ever. You have those conversations and you see the life in their eyes coming back. 
You know, otherwise, we're just serving our idol. Do you understand that expectational love? Expectational love is not love because it's what? It's self-love. And self-love, because if I love my expectation, I love only myself. And self-love is arrogance, is pride. And God said, what? I will resist the pride. I will uplift the humble. So it's time that we go on our knees. We break down the structure because it's so, so dangerous. Danny Joyce, come stand go for it. I You like being part of it. Just stand here, just stand here. Is it possible that some of us say, I will love you, I will love you. This is the token of my love. But before I love you, I want something back. Exchange love. So people only love each other. Why? I can give, but, but give, it, give it back, give it back. I get, I get a little bit more back. Thank you, Tony Joyce. Want wat gebeur? What is happening? What about sexual relations and marriages? Men will hand out credit cards. Men will buy flowers. Men will take expensive dinners. Men will try and go to romantic places. Why? They try and, and make the wife believe it's a token of love. And the other, all, all along, it's never that. It's exchange love. I'm going to do this because, hey, maybe I get something in return. What about your children? What are they doing in your house? How are they jumping around like puppets? Because they think if they don't do in return, your love won't be sincere anymore. It happens. How do you break it down? Go to your children. Go to your wife. Repent of it. Because if I love to get back, who do I love? Myself, because I'll get the reward. You see, exchange love is not love. It is self-love. So what is actually happening is the following. Put up that fear cycle, please. So what happens is, if we live under expectations, so what happens is I have an expectation over my wife. Oh, let's, let's do the children. So my children think, my, my son thinks, okay, daddy, I should, I should achieve this and this and this. So there's this expectation, not spoken, but it's felt Subtle expectation in the house. So what happens? Because there's a high level of expectation, my son, my daughter will start to what? Perform. And they will always be in fifth gear, performing, performing, performing. Why do they perform? Because they, they feel like it? No, because they want to buy my acceptance. And you know as good as I know, it's impossible to sustainably perform year in and year out. Somewhere along the line, you will fail. You won't in your own head reach the expectation. And that expectation, my dear friend, will bring you to a place of disappointment. It will bring your children to disappointment. It will bring your wife to disappointment. And wives, you're not off the hook. Because so, so many times men feel like if I do not bring so much money into the house, if I cannot provide that house, if I cannot provide that holiday, if I cannot send our children to that private school, if I don't have the finances to pay for this for the children and this education, so these expectations because the wives, they quiet about it, but they project it on the husband. So this husband is performing and performing and performing. My own family, we had that 18 hours of work, 18 hours of work, and then at a day, there's a burnout. There's nothing. This guy needs to go to institution for 12 months. There's no performance, massive disappointment, and what happens? Shame and guilt kicks in. 
And the moment that we had the broken expectation and the disappointment and the shame and guilt kicks in, you know what the fruit of this is? It is called fear. So the word says in 1 John 4, 18, 4, 19, it says in perfect love, no, 4, 18, perfect love there is no fear. Now I ask you, sir, do you think your house is without fear? Parents, do you think your house is without fear? Wife, do you think your husband lives without fear? And if there's any amount of fear, it means that we are not pursuing, we are not showcasing, we are not involving ourselves in true love. It's either idle love, exchange love, or expectational love. I think I'm here this morning to encourage you to say, it's time that we step off our own thrones. It is time to, that we, we stop loving ourselves and trying to create a comfortable space for ourselves. It's time that we step into that place of selfless, sacrificial love. So what does God's love look like? First of all, it is internally and eternally sourced. That love will never come from the outside. It comes from here. We get it from God, we sense it here, we live from here. If you have the love of God here, if you feel the Spirit here, you'll have enough to give out. But you see, we deplete it here, we don't have it here, because we did not program ourselves to receive. We're always in performance, so what do we do? We try and grab for love from the outside, so we pack people around us just to receive affirmation, receive more. You know, what can we get from people? Because we want to feel better, your children need to make you feel better, and what happens? Eventually, this whole system just goes into a full lockdown mode. Internally sourced, eternally sourced, and then one directional, unconditional love, intentionally driven, and it looks like this. You see, I love, and this is the only way we can love. So I love you or her, my son, my daughter, so that you or anybody else around me in my life, the next slide please, can become the best version of themselves in Jesus. Meaning, I love, my intention of love is, if I love any, I love any to move him from where he is more into the image and the likeness of Christ. That is love. No exchange. There's no benefit in it. It's only benefit for him. I cannot get anything. I want to tell you a story. And maybe you heard the story of, of Norm Wakefield. Anybody heard the story of Norm Wakefield? So Norm Wakefield is a friend of our movement, American guy that came to our country years ago. And in the moments, just the, the moments um, of the birth of, of his last child, uh, a massive thing happened. And this really served the understanding of selfless, sacrificial love well. So he's on his way with his, with his wife, for the, you know, expecting the, the fourth child, ready to get it. He's there in the delivery, and the baby is out. And you know, we know what that feeling is. Get that first baby, and oh, you just want to, or that, that baby, and you want to keep the baby. But what do we do? We look at the face, we look at the hands, we look at the feet, and we make the calculations. Oh, God, perfect baby. Look at the face, two eyes, ears, nose. Look at the hands, Lord. Fingers, look at the, the it's, everything. Is, it's perfect, Lord. And there's a celebration. And, and Norm says how he just said, God, God, thank you for this. Thank you for blessing me, Lord. I love this baby. I love this child. I'm going to give my life to this child. And the next moment, 
the doctor came into the hospital room. He said, Norm, why are you celebrating? I said, well, I just received a child, perfect child. He said, Norm, didn't anybody tell you, Norm? He said, what? He said, Norm, this baby is Down syndrome. And it was quiet in the room. And his face dropped. And he ran out of the room into the waiting room. And he started screaming, screaming and crying. He said, God, how can you do this? You make me excited. I was so excited. God, a perfect baby, a perfect baby. Everything is so perfect, baby. And just to understand and realize that it's Down syndrome, how can you do this to me? And he heard the words of God. He said, Norm, you wicked man. He said, Norm, not for one second did you love this baby. You only loved your picture of a baby. And he said, Norm, now you go back and you go pray this exact same prayer, Norm. And you celebrate in the exact same manner while holding your Down syndrome baby. Because, Norm, that is love. And he tells the story of how he went back and he started the prayer and he prayed and he cried and he prayed and he started celebrating and celebrating until this broke open in his heart. And Norm's story started to serve a movement and many people and understanding that, hey, God, we are loving our picture of how love should look. But God, love is selfless. Love is sacrificial. I have one story in our midst, in our, in our church. We have a guy there, Umyan. Jan. And in 2003, we had a 24-hour prayer thing. And I remember my slot was always more or less 4 o'clock in the morning. I'll go and I'll pray and be on my face. But when I enter the church, when Jan would be there, he's an elderly guy. He would be in his face praying for his wife. I could always hear his wife has the same name as my wife, Riet. I could always hear God and Riet and God and Riet. You know what happened to Tani Riet? 20 years ago, she had a blood clot in her lung and she became bedridden on oxygen 20 years ago. For 20 years, Um Jan never stopped praying. For 20 years, he never stopped serving her. For 20 years, Daniel Ed is in a bed. She's on oxygen. She cannot cook. She cannot give him intimate relationships. She can do nothing. Um Jan serves his wife. Many times people said, but Jan, why don't you put, him, put her in an institution? Let them. He said, listen, listen. I promise God. I promise my wife. I will selflessly and sacrificially love her to the end. He said, this is my way of loving even though I can get nothing back. You see, I look at Norm, of his Down syndrome child. I look at Umian, of his Down syndrome, oh, of his sick wife. And I just say, this is selfless love. And I cry out to God. I say, God, please help me. And every day in my life, with my wife, my children, we work at this. This is a common topic in our house. Are we selfless? Are we sacrificial? We see, we tell each other life is not about us. Life is about God and His mission on earth and His people. And the faster we can get to a place where we say we don't serve ourselves, we serve out of love, intentionally, one way to help people and to glorify God. So I want to conclude by the following. You can put on the last slide. The value of a person will not and should not be determined by what we can get from them. Can I repeat this? The value of a person will not and should not be determined by what we can get from them. The value of a person is that they give me an opportunity to love as I have been loved by Jesus. 
Now a very flat comment, take it as you want to. The more useless they are, the more valuable they become. Because we can love like Jesus loves. So for the husbands and the wives, just turn to each other and say, hey, you useless thing. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Any, this is what I have to tell. Can I do a prayer for us? So if it's okay for those who feel, but hey, I have my wife here and I want to kneel and just have a hand, please do that. If you're a wife and you say, but I want to kneel, please do that. Make eye contact. Look at each other. And I want to do a prayer for us. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Father, you have never ever given us anything in your word to condemn us. Never, 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 never. Lord, sometimes we get to a place where we think you need us in your heavenly kingdom. Sometimes we think that you need us to make you better. We think that if we just get to you, you will be better. But God, I know you are the perfect father. Jesus, you are the perfect son. son. You are our perfect brother in our family. Holy Spirit, you are perfect. I know that the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly kingdom is perfect without us. So I realize, Lord, that I can add nothing to who you are. Every single thing in your word was written not for you, but for us. You gave away. You say, this is a way not to condemn anybody, but to give everyone a way of reaching you, not to complete you, not to better you, to complete us and to make us better and to give us grace and to give us hope for future. Oh, God, thank you. Lord, we understand today that that all came about through the definition of perfect love. One-way traffic. One-way, Lord. You giving it your all with no guarantee that nobody will ever respond back. Lord, we learn from you. Father, we learn from you. This morning we hear, without condemnation, we open our hearts with a pure conviction. So we turn to you this morning. We turn to you. We say, in our own strength it's impossible. But you say, because we received you, because we have your abiding and you know, internal spirit in us, Lord. Because we are like you on this earth, it is possible for us to turn to you this morning and beg of you the opportunity, the ability, the empowerment to love the way you love. So as we look each other in the eyes this morning, and some bow before their wives, and others have their children in mind, and children have their parents in mind, and, and we have members of church in mind, and we have friends in mind, and, and as we just think about this definition, I pray God, open our hearts. Deal with our hearts and just bring us to this place where we can openly, purely, confidently, with true conviction, start to love your people with a one-way intention of just moving them closer and closer and closer to your image. Thank you for your grace, God. God, thank you, Father, thank you that even in this moment, for all our wrongs, for all the mistakes, even misunderstanding the definition up to this very second, your grace covers us. It empowers us. And from that place, we say thank you this morning that you lift us up, that you take us forward. You keep us straight. You look us straight in the eyes and the face. You guide us forward into this new journey of love. And may it really be a thing that will give you and bring you honor, but bless your church and bless your people. I pray that this one thing, Lord, will change marriages forever. 
I pray this one topic, this definition, will change the lives of children forever. I even pray that this will enable children to honor parents. And that the whole story will come about and get to a place. And we'll get to that place of mandate. We, we have to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. The unrighteous to the righteous to prepare a way for the Lord. And therefore, we expect your coming, Jesus. We thank you for that. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.